Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Great show today. I'm excited for this one. We have Dennis O'Malley, formerly of the Kaliva, of the parent company, one of the most experienced, sharpest minds we have in the industry. He spearheaded so many firsts in California and the Bay Area from delivery and pickup and really, really fascinating dude. Um, he was the first throwback on episode 200 as well. We get into a lot of great topics, what he's doing now, helping other startups, advising. We talk about the trend of de-verticalization in California and other wares where big companies are trying to sell off parts of their assets that aren't working. Fascinating discussion with a guy like him. Uh, we talk about brand building and marketing and how brands attract people online, how they're going to grow to other states. Uh, MJ Unpacked, of course, next week, he and I will both be out there. A lot of brands hoping to come to the East Coast and take over. I guess we'll see if that's possible. Dennis was really great. I learned a ton. You're gonna learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Guys, guys, if you listen to the show all the time and you get a lot of value, you learn stuff, you, you think of new partners, new investors, co-founders, if you like the show, do us a favor, write a review. Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you enjoy the show, please write us a review, guys. It really helps a lot. Okay, let's get into the show with Dennis O'Malley. Dennis, so good to see you, friend. Welcome back to the show. Brandon, thanks for having me. A lot's changed since we uh, since we first uh, actually got together. And congrats on your 200th episode. I was, Thank I was you thrilled so to be, uh, I was thrilled to have the shout out of the, the first uh, Thursday throwback. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. That was a great interview and a great day. Um, there's a little bit of video from it too, which is cool. Um, but a lot has changed. What was that? 2018, something like that. It was, it was, yeah. it, it was a fun day. I remember it well. And, and, and seems certainly if we're counting dog years, that was uh, that was a world ago. It sure was, especially in weed years for sure. Um, so since then, so many things happened at that time, you were the president or CEO of Kaliba. Is that right? Which yeah, it was the CEO of Kaliba at the time. Correct. Got it. Got it. Got it. Which has its own grand story, which we can't get into too much over here, but really dominated uh, the Bay Area and San Jose and all of that really um, first to do a lot of deliveries. I think you guys were a lot of firsts. Um, and then uh, the parent company comes along, right? What was the first time you heard of that? Well, how, how was that kind of idea presented to you originally? Yeah, I think when you when you look back from 2018 to, to, to now, what is that almost almost four years? And so much has 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 happened in that 2018 uh, time frame. It was it was just after the you know adult use legalization in California, which really opened things up in a in a lot of different areas. And then um, certainly fast forwarding to a you know 2020, the the general you know, consumer journey for cannabis dramatically changed when it went really all online. And we were focused uh, a lot on curbside pickup, electronic payments and delivery, which, which absolutely changed our business. 
Um, to your point around, uh, you know, the, um, the, the SPAC and, uh, and what we went through to form the parent company, that was in the, in the uh, really Q4 of 2020, um, where uh, not just Kaliva, but Left Coast Ventures, who had also um, uh, purchased Sisu, as well as, you know, partners of, of Rock Nation and, and then Monogram all came together under subversive capital to, you know, form at the time, which was the, the largest cannabis back in history. And, you know, on a timing basis, we went out on January 15th, 2021, right at the height of, um, you know, when the the, the Senate elections um, look, looked like there was going to be much more promise in terms of, uh, you know, federal uh, regulatory, you know, headwinds being removed. Um, and there was a lot of uh, just anticipation and excitement at the at the time. And so that that happened in, in 2021. And, and uh, you know, I think we're a year, year and a half, um, you know, almost almost into it, and and certainly uh, the cannabis, uh, you know, public markets as well as the, actually the the broader tech, uh, all broader uh, markets, including the tech, technology markets, have have somewhat, you know, come down from those uh, highs of the of the post COVID uh, excitement. That's an understatement. <laughs> I won't make you elaborate on that, but I mean, the weed stocks as a whole are just in the shitter, you know? So of course it's, it's not anyone in particular. Um, So whose idea was the parent company, by the way, that name It's very clever, but whose idea was that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think uh, more importantly, it was the, you know, the, the concept behind the parent company was that, you know, at the time it was a holding company that was bringing, you know, multiple different companies together. And, and that, that was a, uh, a clever name um, that said, Hey, how do we, how do we actually go, you know, put everything together on the the notion of, you know, going through an M&A within, you know, California consolidation at the time. So that was the, that was the impetus behind uh, the thought process around that. Uh, and and certainly, you know, the the parent company executed against that, you know, last year when they you know looked at you know places like the coastal and Calma and Jaden's you know journey dispensaries, uh, they were able to, or we were able to, you know, roll up at the time and to be able to have one of the largest you know D2C footprints in in California. So that was um, uh, cer- certainly a lot to do. But that market, you know, in the California has obviously changed. Um, obviously, California is still um, uh, a very, very competitive market that went through, you know, a lot of commoditization of both, uh, you know, flour and oil in the last, uh, you know, six months of the year. Love that. Love that perspective. Um, I think the question everybody wants to know is, have you hung out with Jay-Z? <laughs> No, I have not hung out with Jay Z. So, so uh, Jay is uh, is obviously uh, you know continued to be a very important part of the uh, the parent company and is and has really been again the creative genius behind all things Monogram and and as the chief visionary officer is is you know extremely involved in terms of um, just what that brand is and, and the go to market around it. Uh, but uh, he's 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 certainly uh, very busy in a, in a lot of different um, uh, you know balls in the air on, on different things. But you know he's he's obviously had a material impact on the parent company and, and certainly uh, Monogram. Has he come? Has he seen Kaliva? Has he gone to left? I mean, you know, does, how involved is he? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he's he's more involved than than anybody would think in terms of, you know, a lot of different of small details and all of the things that you'd see in terms of monogram, whether it's the, you know, the fast company, um, you know, recognized monogram for being one of the most, 
you know, innovative um, packaging design, not just in cannabis, but really in any type of consumer packaged goods. And that's all, all goes back to him. So, you know, a lot of that creative genius. And when you looked at, you know, some of the hypocrisy campaigns um, that, you know, made certainly a lot of the news uh, last year in terms of just hypocrisy in cannabis, um, where there were different, you know, billboards and state lines, you know, talking about how there was such a, um, a divergent or regulatory, you know, environment, uh, you know, out there. Again, all, all of that brainchild was was his. So the, the he's a lot more involved than, than you would think or that anybody else would, would think in terms of, uh, you know, being behind the scenes like that. That's super cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think this is the first time that happened, but there's a new song with him on it. And in the verse, he says Kaliva. Um, right, right. Have you heard yeah, that? that was- yeah, that? we we did. Yeah, the Kaliva brothers, and in, in, in yeah. you know, in, in in an homage to to him and Emory Jones on that, and that was uh, that was cool to see. Yeah, and, I was and, like, uh, okay, I was like, all right, Dennis, okay, I, I see you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just uh, there's uh, just uh, again on that uh, on the just the creative um, uh, the the respect for having the longevity of of what he's built and kind of everything around his career, and certainly you know his continued capability to to produce, you know, great music that's still relevant today and kind of, you know, across a, such a broad, you know, spectrum of, uh, of, you know, consumers and people is, uh, is really impressive. This show is not about Jay-Z. I'm just a fanboy, So we, we, we can move on. Yeah. Um, I hard not to, hard not to be hard not to be. I think one of the most interesting perspectives that you're going to have is sort of the original concept of total verticalization in California. And that's certainly what you guys built. Um, But if you look at where we are today, and there's brands that are very asset light, there's a lot of licensing, cultivation has not been lucrative for most people. Which way is this supposed to be? I mean, we're seeing kind of a de-verticalization, if that's a word. Um, Is that how it's going? Are we going to swing the pendulum back? What's the right way to do this? Yeah, Brandon, I was hoping you would tell me, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's, I think, you know, here's what we collectively know is we collectively know that, you know, back when you and I first uh, first met in 2018, you didn't have a choice other than to be vertical because the ecosystem wasn't there that, you know, the, 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 the tax, um, you know, basis and the tax implications just um, weren't there. And if you actually wanted to, to produce any type of, you know, gross margins throughout the value chain and, and really control your quality, your cost, your, um, you know, anything else, there weren't best of breed players that you could count on that you could base your business on. Certainly not if you were taking investment uh, and ensuring that you were going to, you know, have a fast growing company. Um, but, you know, with all that said, anybody outside of the industry, right, the advice in 2018 was, hey, go pick a lane and go be best at that. And uh, believe me, we we tried all avenues to be able to go team up with partners. And that was everything from extraction, you know, to delivery, you know, to technology. Um, and we found time and time again, uh, the ecosystem partners just didn't work. And so that required weren't reliable, um, weren't, weren't quality. 
Yeah. Just, uh, you know, just didn't have the investment uh, behind them to be able to go execute. Weren't, um, I'd say, purpose built to uh, to support a company like, you know, we were at Kaliva at the time, a, you know, a large enterprise that was that was, uh, you know, moving quickly. So for everything from technology, you know, through vertical integration, um, we had to build it ourselves. And that was a, you know, a, a very costly, you know, venture to do. I think what I'm really encouraged by is the amount of talent that's coming into the industry. And, and now you have people with a, a ton of experience in different companies uh, who are, you know, um, repurposing that experience to build great best of breed solutions. And, and so now I, I do think that at least in California, the ecosystem is a lot more mature where you do have the ability to have great partners. I mean, the, you know, the team at Navis is a great example of that. I knew them when they were first, you know, starting off and, and you know, June and, and Vince are, um, are, you know, always the smartest people in the room, um, uh, you know, when they when they come in together and they they were, um, you know, incredibly, you know, focused on building a great company. And now when you look at some of the best of breed transport, um, they're absolutely a, a team that, you know, any company, you know, should be evaluating as to their, you know, transport, um, uh, transport options. But that wasn't the case, you know, back in 2018, 2019. Same, same thing with technology. I, I think in, in any of the places that you're gonna see a lot of innovation in technology, specifically around the consumer experience, um, you know, some of the things that, for instance, like Jane Technology is doing around headless commerce, um, you know, and some of the things that other, you know, companies are doing around point of sale, um, you know, ERP, you know, serialization, compliance. So I think there's a lot of best of breed technology out there that that now can fit into a system that it, that is more purpose built to be able to support an enterprise. And that's that's great for the industry. Industry needs that. So it's going to allow players to really focus on, you know, what their core key and focus is. And certainly at the parent company, it was it was a lot around the, the D2C platform, the retail um, pickup and delivery, as well as the, you know, the brand building that that they're doing. Um, and so having a more, more mature ecosystem, I think is certainly in California is going to help. But I think it also just helps uh, in other states as well. So what about all the folks that went big and bought a lot of assets? Um, what do they do now? Well, I, I think we we've, we've seen that story play out in in Canada, and I think we've seen that you know play out in in some of the other states that are probably uh, you know more mature even than California around the Colorados and the Oregon's, et cetera. So, you, you're seeing that in real time um, all across the board. Is is the company saying, hey, how do I partner, divest, you know, shut down, um, uh, go through different JVs? So. Like any other maturing industry, when people start to really focus on the best of breed and what they're good at, they're going to invest in those areas and they're going to look for people who are not best in those same areas. So if somebody is is focusing on contract manufacturing, happens to have two retail licenses, they're probably going to shed those retail licenses and somebody who's focused on retail is going to look to go pick that up. And, and the, the the inverse is true as well. Right. So if, if somebody is is you know really focused on uh, a retail and, and saying, hey, you know what, here's the types of products I manufacture, but somebody else has the scale and, and the um, and the ability to execute better than I do. And it's and it's a less costly basis that that's a good decision to be able to say, how do I how do I, um, you know, have a JV with with my assets, divest the assets, sell the assets, et cetera. So you'll see, I think, a continued um, uh, amount of movement, specifically in California around that. Um, but those are good, healthy, mature things that should happen in, in, in any industry. 
Um, and I think the, the more regulatory you know, headwinds that, that are removed, um, you'll see an advancement of that. And there's some good indications that you know, those things can happen when you start to remove things like, like cultivation tax, et cetera, uh, through the state. So as you start to silo these different supply chains or the segments of the supply chain, you really get down to what it is to be a brand, right? Because if sure. you're not growing it, and you're not distributing it, and you're not the yeah. retail, and you're not packaging it, what actually are you doing? And I think it's marketing. Essentially, that's what these companies are, right? They're brand builders, they're marketers. That is not an easy thing to do in this industry. I, I don't know if you went to Hall of Flowers. I didn't go this time. I went to the last one. But I walk around, and there's literally 500 brands that yeah. I've never heard of. And I give them lots of credit. Any entrepreneur, founder that wants to fight the fight and believes should do that. But I think to myself, who is starting a new brand today? Why would you do that? You know, and do we need another infused mini pre-roll? Is that what we need? Really? Like, and I know that's kind of cynical and whatever, but do you agree with any of that? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think a couple things, right, is um, I probably learned more in, you know, kind of nine months around brand building under Troy Dotcher coming over from Clorox to the parent company than I did in the, in the previous five years in cannabis. And, you know, I mean, he, he is he is probably um, a, I mean, without question, you know, best in class in cannabis in terms of building brands and going to market on that. And the, and the parent company is is, uh, you know, just extremely fortunate to have him at the helm on that. And, and so when you look at that, brand building's hard. Um, and, and certainly um, it takes years, not quarters to go do so. And, and to your point, I, I think um, the time frame in which, you know, most people are, are thinking about launching a brand is not in years. It is in, it is in months and quarters. And uh, what my take on at least brand building is it does start with product and, and you can't out market or out brand a shitty product. So you really have to get your product form factor right. And, and, and you know, within cannabis, um, it's very difficult to have one just key form factor if you're actually going to have a sustainable business. So you have to have some type of extensible brand or some type of, you know, a house of brands to be able to go build. Uh, and you can't make a brand just up right that's not like a you brainstorm and say hey we're going to go name something and, and we're going to we have this you know great killer flower product and we're going to go slap a name on it and logo and go to market uh it really does have to have um a you know it really does have to have some authenticity to it, it has to have a story and you know you know previously uh, before cannabis um the the company that i had was um authentic marketing for you know it, um aspirational and, and inspirational companies and we worked with, like the gopros and red bulls and all of that and you really have to have you know a uh, a, a consumer base um that it really is almost fanatical about your brand and so you do as a brand have to go speak to a uh, and have some type of consumer affinity and have to be there for somebody in, in some different segment and a lot of the nuances I think in cannabis just haven't you know thought through what that brand building is and what that means. I did go to Hall of Flowers. I didn't know seventy five percent of the brands. 
And I was and asking if everybody. You don't know them. If you don't know them, then basically yeah. don't know any of them. Basically, I was at, I was at, I, Brandon. I was asking everybody. I said, "Where do these hundred thousand dollar booths come from?" And uh, you know, who are these? You know, who are these teams and these brands? And and you know, maybe it was farms who were white labeling, uh, you know, a brand or a product because it was almost all flour. Um, maybe it was, you know, um, uh, companies coming over from the, you know, illicit market. And, and now that they had their licenses, I don't know. Um, but there was such a, uh, a number of new entrants to the space. So um, when you look at, you know, brand building, I think part of that is how do you break through the noise on, on all of those things. And, and, you know, early on when we originally did that, uh, you know, deal and partnership with Jay-Z back in 2019, that was the whole impetus behind it was to be able to say, you know, given the limitations of marketing and cannabis, you know, how do you actually go two steps ahead and how do you, how, how can you be in an altitude that just breaks through all of that, you know, noise and to be able to have something that is going to be long-term and that you can build, you know, year after year after year. And what, you know, most people in, in um, at least in cannabis brand building have, haven't thought through that in, in, uh, in um, you know, some of the, the new things. And even within, you know, investors in public markets, it's, it's trying to get, you know, long-term, um, uh, long-term patient investors, um, you know, is, is also something that, uh, you know, has been a challenge within cannabis. Um, but, you know, hats off to brands that I think have done a great job of, you know, the Kivas of the world who've been at it for a very long time and continue to build a, build a great brand out there, both in California and outside of California. So there, there are some, um, you know, good beacons of light to, of which the you know, cannabis industry should, should look to around people who produce great products and have a great brand that do speak to a, a specific customer base. There's a couple of them, but There's not nearly as many as they think they are. Um, yeah. So a lot of it comes down to marketing. I want to sort of zoom sure. in on that a little bit. Yeah. It's, to say it's a hard thing to do is an understatement in this industry. I was reading a stat that something like 60%, 60 cents of every venture capital dollar to technology company go back to Facebook and Google for advertising. So right. that is the engine that makes these startups work. And of course, cannabis, not completely, but is largely outside of that that capability, we're starting to see that open up a little bit. I mean, you must have tried everything. Do billboards work? Do <laughs> buy one, get ones work? I mean, what else were you trying? I mean, what worked? Yeah, no, I, I love the question. And it's probably what I'm most passionate about, Brandon, in, in terms of you know evolving the, the industry. I'm, I'm still a student of the game in, in many aspects and still learning a lot around, um, around everything. But I'm actually really, really excited for all the cannabis marketers out there, including the, um, the brand marketers um, who, and there's very few of them in, in cannabis, but the brand marketers who are building the brand and actually spending money on awareness and consideration campaigns, which it's tough to do because uh, it's tough to justify the ROI and it, it's not immediate. Um, but that is, those things are required when you go do build brands. But what you see in cannabis has all been direct response, right? And to, to your point, it, it has been com completely focused on this. Um, what is my discount? Um, how much do I give off? Um, how can I get you know somebody into the store? But what you see there right now, and, and California is a great example, but I was just in Michigan advising a company and it's, and it's very similar there as well, which is the retailers today have the power. 
And so when you when you look at the inability for brands to actually have an effective brand awareness campaign, which would mean that there had to be some confidence that a consumer would have in terms of where to buy the product, because those brands don't have that, they actually provide their marketing dollars to the retailer, right? And the retailers, by on, on average, are not great marketers, right? They're direct response marketers. So, so what does a retailer do when they actually hear from a brand that says, hey, I'm going to go take your marketing dollars and whether that was co-op marketing dollars or whether that was, you know, um, shelf space, et cetera, they spend it on what they know how to spend, right? They spend it on billboards, which is a great uh, tangible ego thing that they can, can see. And they're like, hey, I can see it. Uh, it. It's actually there. It must be working. People have people have mentioned that, you know, to me. Um, or you spend it on, on things like Weed Maps, who, who, you know, continues to innovate and does a great job and have been around for a long time but they spend it on what they know. Uh, and, and so when you look at what my prediction would be over the next couple of years is actually the power of marketing is gonna shift from retailers to brands. And when brands get really innovative about what they're doing, these brand marketers have had to work in an, in an environment that has been, uh, I'd say, so challenging. Um, yet the uh, to your point around outside of cannabis, the performance marketer playbook is getting thrown out the window. So because they can't go after this, you know, uh, Facebook, Google, Instagram hit, rinse and repeat. Now they're starting to try to, try to get really creative on content, on, on, on multi-touch attribution, on, in, you know, influencer marketing, on authentic marketing. These are things that cannabis marketers are best in class at. So I'm really interested to see, you know, some of the innovation of, of what's coming out in the space, like companies like Media Gel, who are, you know, doing a great job around, you know, programmatic advertising to be able to actually tie that into uh, being able to progressively profile consumers and, and purposely, you know, opt in and help retarget, you know, them for brands and for retailers. And so then when I see brands being able to help retailers, it says, hey, I'm a brand. I'm going to have this community that I built my product and my uh, uh, my community around. I'm going to help direct them where to buy, whether it's in-store delivery. That's when I see the power is actually going to shift it back to the brands. But brands need great marketers to be able to do that uh, really well. So if you're one of those brands that has patient capital, you're really, you yeah. know, you have a long timeline. Isn't the play just not to work with retail at all? Uh, you, 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 there's an allure of a, uh, of, of direct to consumer for sure. And, and certainly brands, and I know brands in California have tried to pull that lever that says, Hey, I can actually just, uh, you know, go and, to, and attract my fans and, and have them convert. Uh, it's really hard to do. Um, you, you know, the, the, the ability for a consumer to ensure that they have a great world-class experience and, and selection are the two keys. So when you look at, again, things like, you know, the Kaliva.coms, a, a lot of that's successful because of the selection that's out there, one. But two, it, it's also the um, uh, just think of the convenience of do I want to go to the store that is a deli store, Kaliva store? Do I want to do a pickup in store? Do I want to do a curbside pickup? Do I want to do a uh, do I want to do a scheduled delivery? Do I want to do an on-demand delivery? Do I want to pick up at one of their partner you know, dispensaries. So um, brands, I think, have an ability to tell great stories, to have a lot of great content, to really engage consumers when they're not at that direct buying process. But for brands that think that they can synthetically create this, you know, D to C experience and be able to drive brands, so few brands can actually do that. Maybe 
Can and Kiva could probably pull that off and, and, and have done a good job on that. Um, and, and they will be well positioned for um, when they can do that out of state. And, and it doesn't matter where in the US you are that you think you can get a can, you know, overnight or, you know, within two hours. Um, but we're not there today. And it's very difficult for, for kind of any brands to synthetically do a D2C, um, you know, solution on their own. Yeah, I mean, I think can in a lot of ways sort of created this opportunity for a lot of other folks. Yeah. Um, sure. Flower Agency, a company I'm really close to, was instrumental in that sort of D2C starting up. But yep. I think that Can has a very specific product that lends itself better to that audience. And yeah. somebody that really is a flower head or, you know, someone that dabs a lot, I'm not sure that there is susceptible to that kind of marketing, right? Um, we're still so focused on the THC to dollar ratio, which continues to baffle me. Um, but we really are right. so focused on. It. Yeah, well, I, I think you know there, there's a couple things to that. Um, there are going to be brands that have a lot of depth. Can is one of them. When you start to look at you know recipes and integrating a product into your daily life, right? That's a that's a very big deal. And there is a lot of depth to that brand and 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 that type of integration and multi uses and in terms of you know morning noon night etc there's other brands that are building that that as well those will be the brands that that where content you know meets commerce where that's going to be effective um, but but I, I do think that, you, you know, um, there will be innovation into this, uh, you know, D2C basis, uh, a company that I'm advising Everscore is really working on dark stores, you know, across the U.S. to be able to go put this together where there's a conglomerate of, you know, brands that are able to say, hey, here's another marketplace that I can actually go sell my wares to. And if you're a brand, you're almost agnostic as to where and how your brand is noticed and sold. And there's a lot of coordination around that. But those are the types of things around these marketplaces um, that you'll see from state to state to state, where somebody can say, hey, this, this is where I, I know that I wanna actually go purchase my product. Uh, and even if it is the profile of saying, hey, get, get, uh, ping me every time there's a great deal on my favorite brand and favorite product, those are the types of marketplaces that I think are gonna be successful in the long term. Very interesting. Um, you've started to spend more time out of California, you were telling me, which must be kind of an yeah. interesting change, kind of refreshing. Um, well, I, I, I had to, man. It was it was grill warfare in California for so long. It's, um, uh, it, it's good to see a, a different perspective for sure. What's the thing that surprised you the most about outside California? Well, I think, you know, I'm just coming back again off a couple of days in Michigan and in the Michigan market. And I think, you know, a question that comes up a lot is this, um, you know, what do we do with the illicit market? And what does the illicit market look like? And and um, I look at it in terms of two different lenses. One is just what is the how does the industry react? And then two is, you know, how does the regulatory agencies react? Um, what was really interesting in Michigan is uh, every place I went to was uh, like trap packaging, mylar bags, hype strains, massive amount of just, you know, pegboards uh, of these uh, of these flower brands and, and eighths all across the board. And it was, you know, almost an homage to, to be able to say, hey, we're not going to reinvent the wheel here. We're actually going to lean into where consumers 
and how consumers are buying. And the fact that, you know, um, that, that the illicit market probably has the, uh, you know, the, the, the existing demand and the innovation around what, what consumers are looking for. So I thought that was really interesting in a young market like Michigan completely leaning into that. Um, the other thing that I thought was, you know, interesting there was um, a, a notion of, um, of car hop. Um, you know, at, at, at Caliva, um, Steve Allen had created this fulfillment method called the car hop where, you know, it was, it was like, think of your old drive-ins where somebody drives in and, and, uh, and orders, you know, a, um, an order something you're in and out in 10 minutes. We tried it at, at Caliva. It was, uh, we found it to be really tough other than, you know, areas where there was um, really busy and, and long lines. I went to a place in Michigan. They actually shut down their in-store retail and they had 50 spots in their parking lot. And to, to expand their parking lot, they bought two other homes and mowed down the homes to, to expand the parking lot. And the place was bumping on a Tuesday at like noon. Wow. And, and so, and it was straight car hop. It was walk up, you, you text your order in, you sign up and you get, and I think we got our product within like seven minutes. So, so, so when you, when you think about, you know, innovation like that, um, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how other States, uh, you know, go through that. I know there's been a lot of talk around, you know, the, the New York regulatory, uh, you know, situation and, and what happens there. And it'll be, it'll be super interesting to see what happens in New York. Yeah, so MJ Unpack coming up next week. Um, we'll both be out in New York for that. Love it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to meet more of the East Coast people and sort of see their perspective. I think, like yeah. you, I get pretty sick of California cannabis sometimes. Um, there's a lot of California brands, West Coast brands, I should say, that yeah. think they're going to win big on the East Coast, that the license holders in new york they're not going to create their own stuff they're going to want what california has you buy that uh yes and no um i, I think there's absolutely going to be massive demand for very well-known brands and in, in cal you know that started from california around the cookies and the stizzies uh, i think there's no denying that they're there today and they command premiums and they, and they command, uh, you know, some uh, attention out there. I was surprised even in Michigan on some of the um, feedback on some of these stores where lesser known California brands that had more hype strains and, and more of, gonna, again, that almost trapper packaging, um, we're, um, we're commanding higher price points than more well-known brands out in California. Um, but, but, but I, I think, um, the brand, there will be brands that are going to be able to scale for, from other States, but I think what's going to be really interesting is, is how, you know, brands look at the New York market. Um, I just started a book around, um, have you heard the story of, uh, of Dapper Dan out in New York? Nope. So, so D Dapper Dan, um, had a famous boutique in Harlem and, um, and he started creating, um, uh, this, the, these, you know, kind of great fashion pieces and started leveraging like a, a Gucci logo or Louis Vuitton logo and those types of things. And the fashion industry at first tried to completely just shut him down and said, Hey, these things are counterfeit. You can't do that and everything else. And now, I mean, he's in his seventies and now he's getting hired by you know, the Gucci's and Louis Vuitton's and even gaps these days where they it, it actually, it, it, they have, you know, his brand coming out um, on that. And he, he just produced an autobiography, um, uh, you know, Dapper Dan, by, by, um, uh, uh, and, and, and I think it's a, just a fascinating story 
in terms of when you're trying to look at saying, hey, how can brands actually um, uh, be authentic um, and work in New York? And, and it's, some brands are going to partner with New York legends out there and you know who've been in New York for forever. Um, some brands are going to do what they did in Michigan and say, hey, I, I'm not going to try to fight against it, the illicit market. I'm going to try to make brands that people already know and, and try to go towards that. So I think that's what's going to be most interesting, um, because if a California jar brand went out there, uh, went out to, you know, back east today, and certainly if they went out to Michigan, there's no jars out in Michigan, right? That There's only those Mylar bags. So, so you're really going to have to know what that local market is and be able to translate your um, your brand and your product towards that what that uh, local market is. So I think some will do that well. And, and I think others are going to have to partner and figure it out. But I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how that um, how those brands will adapt to new to new markets. Fascinating. I like the jars. I don't know. I think the jars kind of nice. Um, well, in 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 for for many years, right? The um, it, it was a requisite to be able to go see the flower and to be able to go look at the flower for for sure, and and that that just ha hasn't held true in 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 these other states, and and even in stores like uh, you know at the parent company, Calma has a really really tight following of. Uh, of strain drops and a lot of the third-party brands out there, and none of those, you know, brands you can actually see the flower because they are in that those eighth, you know, mylar bags. So, uh, different audiences, you know, different consumer base, and and I think that's what's thrilling about cannabis is is the continued innovation, uh, you know, in each state and now, so many other states coming online. What do we do about the illicit market? I mean, are are we winning? Are we winning the battle here? Uh, I have, uh, I, I think, uh, an uncommon uh, viewpoint on this, Brandon, and, and I don't, I don't know if a lot of folks share it with me. Um, but from a regulatory standpoint, uh, there's always a concern around safety and testing. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, at least what I would vote for is is anybody, any enforcement agency. I would much rather have them spend all of their time focusing on, uh, you know, people on uh, plugs on Snapchat who are selling you know, teenagers, um, uh, fake, you know, Vicodin and, and, uh, and Percocet. I mean, it, it's affecting every community it affected ours. Um, we just had a, a close, you know, friend who, uh, got a Vicodin off of, uh, you know, Snapchat and, and he died because there was fentanyl in it. And that's, that's not an overdose. That's a poisoning. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, my preference is, is that all enforcement should be focused on, uh, on the fentanyl type of issues. And, uh, those who are actually trying to grow uh cannabis you know in their garage and, and go sell it uh, you know in, in the park in new york or or in the streets in san francisco um if a larger company and brand can't compete well against that that larger company or brand is doing something wrong so um there, there's a yeah there's a basis where i understand the taxation and, and it's an un unfair competitive market and and there's a reality to that and that taxation um is hindering the the legal market and it is um and there should be i think people that are doing a lot of different calculations in california when they say you know see that the california market actually dropped 20 percent you know kind of uh you know year over year in in march uh and that has largely to do with things like taxation um, but on a on a commercial basis, if you can't outcompete the illicit market, you're doing something wrong in the um, uh, in the regulatory market. And then from an enforcement standpoint, the, the 
I'm not supportive of, uh, you know, kind of almost anybody going after anybody trying to sell a, a brand, um, you know, or, you know, what we would say, you know, an illicit type of grow. Um, you want people to keep safe and you want to make sure they're not spraying it with pesticides and those types of things. So I think that there's a, um, uh, there, there's certainly a, a public, um, you know, policy around that. Um, but what never gets talked about is the um, there's plenty of people who have a legal license who are taking using credit cards and plenty of people who have a legal license who are not paying their taxes. Mm -hmm. And and so, um, you know, if you're actually looking at trying to have a level playing field around, uh, you know, companies who are trying to do all the right things. And, and certainly in the five and a half years of cannabis, we we never cut corners and, and we try to do all the right things. But I was. I was more focused on the competition that I had that was that we're doing those types of things, uh, which are more, you know, you know, the 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 so-called, you know, white collar, you know, illegality things than anything else. So my preference would be go after the people who have the licenses because you have enforcement against them. If they're taking credit cards and are not taking their taxes, take their licenses away. But for those who don't have a license and are, are trying to make ends meet and trying to do what they do, you got to outcompete them in the market. But I don't know how widely uh, how widely that point of view is shared, but that's that's at least my my opinion on it. I think it's fascinating. I mean, look, as we talked about, there's so many brands that are really hurting today, yeah, and so I think it's course. tempting to look around and say, "Well, what's going on? What's the problem?" Right? But yeah. I think for the biggest cannabis companies, even though their profit margins are not what they should be, it's working. They're growing. And so it's kind of hard to look at the illicit market and say, well, that's the problem. That's the reason. Yeah. I mean, to me, in the end of the day for cannabis, right, you um, you make market sell and support cannabis products. It's just as simple as that. And and you're you're world class in one of those four areas. And, and how do you do that profitably? And it's extremely hard to do so in a you know, uh, a federally illegal, uh, you know, business and, and something that's hyper competitive around that. Um, but, uh, but in the end of the day, the, the companies that will win um, will be best in class in terms of what they're doing. And I just hope, you know, some of these uh, companies who are building great brands have enough time to be able to do so. But, but I do, I do think the fight is actually against, you know, regulatory headwinds, um, specifically around, you know, things like taxation. And I do think it is keep keeping a level playing field for those who actually have licenses um, versus uh, trying to, to, you know, balance out um, just what, what isn't in the, in the legal market. And I think over time, you'll you'll see that um you'll see smart companies um and you'll see um uh you know smart states you know re realize that uh it's going to take competition and time to be able to you know reduce the uh uh illegal and illicit markets fascinating perspective how you're able to look at it beyond the cannabis industry and say actually what's better for society is enforcing these other deadly drugs, right? I think that's that's a lot of self-awareness for someone that's been so deep in the cannabis industry, I think. Um, let's, let's shift a little bit, um, talk about you. So I know you're advising a number of companies today. You're welcome to drop whichever ones you want, but what's, sure. life, what's life post parent company, post Kaliva like? What, what are you up to? What are you doing? 
Yeah, so so I I, I certainly thought that um, there was going to be more an allocation of, of free time didn't 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 last uh, didn't last too long. But I think you know being able to be reinvigorated as to the innovation and some of the the entrepreneurs you know in the in the space I, again it's it's uh, I'm still trying to be a student of the game and and learn as much as I can. Uh, you know, throughout cannabis. And I'm just super excited about some of the innovation that's happening. But, you know, some of the entrepreneurs, especially around the tech space, again, on these, some of these, um, for instance, you know, companies are coming out with compliance solutions that are going to enable, you know, processing times to be significantly reduced, um, you know, would have a massive impact on on larger companies. And, you know, some of these areas like uh, like Media Gel um, that are doing great, you know, programmatic advertising and and really compliant marketing for, you know, regulated industries. I mean, th those are things that are going to help build brands and the in the ever scores of the world, you know, that are, that are going to have these, you know, uh, capabilities for dark stores um, are, are really impressive. And then I've been fortunate to, you know, work with some dispensaries out in, in California and Michigan, you know, who are really early adopters of technology and some just really, really smart driven entrepreneurs who are, who are fighting that, you know, private company battle, but doing a, just a fantastic job at a, at a smaller company. So that's where I've been spending my time. And, and um, it's, um, it, it's thrilling to be able to, uh, to, to do that and work with the energy of those entrepreneurs. And I, I get to share with them all, all the things that, that, <laughs> that I would have done differently and, and that I learned from. And, and um, uh, but I'm most excited again, as I was telling you, is just the, the amount of talent coming into the industry and the, the innovation. I'm really, really bullish about the long-term capabilities around that um, and some of these best of breed players and, and even some of the smaller companies that are, that are carving out great niches. Well, you're starting to sound a little bit like an investor, my friend. Uh, is that something that you're interested in? Yeah, well, um, considering that, that um, I, I would I would still say that the the my number one investment will continue to be the parent company, <laughs> and uh, I could continue to be focused uh, focused on that. But but sure, I mean, there's um, I, I think in in all aspects of what's interesting in the cannabis industry today is is companies can go out and they can um, uh, companies can go out and they can get a hundred thousand dollar check or companies can go out and get, you know, a mezzanine round. Um, but, you know, these series A, series B, series C and series D, um, I think just aren't there in a traditional, you know, venture capital, um, you know, normalized, uh, you know, ecosystem. So um, I'm I'm starting to have the, you know, some of the con uh, conversations with some of these funds and, and certainly, in, you know, some of the smaller companies, um, you know, will be continue to in, um, be interested in investing into. So I think there's a lot of innovation out there. I think that there are some in, in, insane and great deals <laughs> for investors to be had with uh, some of these um, uh, both small private companies. But um, I think also, um, and it's shared by probably the sentiment of all the public companies, um, where the valuations are for public companies today is so low. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a fantastic, you know, two, three year investment and I'll continue to, I'd say, invest very aggressively in the public markets, um, you know, in, in a lot of the stocks that we, that we, we talked about here today. Same. Absolutely. I just keep putting money in. Um, and yeah. I understand that's a luxury, but yeah, nothing has changed. Literally nothing has changed about the fundamentals of this business. Um, it's just all sentiment. Right. It's just all sentiment. Um, go ahead.
Go ahead. Were you going to say something? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree on that. And again, I, I think that, you know, there, there will be consolidation, you know, throughout the um, throughout the U.S. Uh, or around this. And I think that, that there is a realization around some of these, you know, tax burdens that you'll see. Some of the economics will start opening up for for some of these companies. And, and again, the, you know, the shifts of these, you know, kind of post cookie world in terms of marketing and those types of things, it just takes a couple different avenues uh, to be able to give some of these great brand marketers at, at these companies an avenue. And I think you'll really see um, some of the brands really be, you know, national brands in the future. What kind of consumer are you today? How has that evolved your time in, in cannabis? Um, well, what, whatever uh, D Watson comes out with them with the monogram product is uh, is normally is normally at the top of my list. Uh, I was I was able to to uh, to, to share some of the the monogram eight pre rolls out at, out in Michigan, and so those things are always big hits. But that's my that's my favorite today is the, uh, the number eight pre roll for monogram flowers. That's your thing. You yeah. you like a pre roll? Yeah, I like flowers too. I like to roll my own joints though. Um, I find it kind of therapeutic. Um, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Um, it's a great question. Um, I, I think probably around the, the, um, the same type of uh, space, but we're probably working with other tech uh, entrepreneurs as well. And uh, I think the, you know, the, the growth stage for me in, in terms of some of where these, you know, these companies are at and uh, is, is just uh, amazing. And the amount of innovation and the, and the challenge of, you know, growing a, a uh, growing a company quickly um, is impressive. Um, but un unfortunately, I, I am, I keep, getting drawn back to the cannabis industry. And I don't know if it's because it's the, uh, j just the, the insurmountable challenge there or the amount of, uh, the amount of time, you know, invested or the, or the passion to be able to see the industry, you know, mature and be successful. Um, but it would probably be doing the same types of things other than, um, uh, just outside of the cannabis industry. Nice. I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. Um, how can we help you? I mean, are you, looking for a certain kind of company you want to meet with certain people i don't know how can the audience help you yeah i mean i'm um i'm always thrilled to listen to any pitch from uh from anybody on, on things and and happy to share uh, a perspective i'm a i'm an easy uh, easy person to find on on linkedin to hit me to hit me up on that but i'm i'm happy to sit through any type of uh pitch on those types of things and and I think um, it, it is um, some of those, you know, those uh, entrepreneurs and, and some of the early stage folks that that you really um, you get a lot of value of around just just helping them out and seeing them from their earliest stages. And and I know I've been in their seat and and the things when when people actually took my call early on and uh, and and gave me the advice early on i was forever grateful that somebody did that so if i can somewhat pay that forward and and pay it back on that i'm i'm always willing to do so very cool man uh well this has been really great thank you for joining us if there's anything i can do or the audience can ever do to help you man much appreciated um this was just packed with good info i think i think you take it for granted but um a lot of good info today
Well, yeah, well, it, dude, it was great to chop it up with you again. You know, who who knew we would uh, we'd go back at this, you know, four years later and, and, and certainly didn't know and predict what the market would be like. But I appreciate, you know, your continued focus on the um, uh, on the industry and the and the podcast. And congrats again to you for 200, 200 episodes, man, to, to keep consistent about that. That's awesome. I'm, I'm a still a loyal listener and uh, and look forward to seeing you at MJ Unpack, my friend. For sure. You are now officially the only guest that has been on the show three times. Oh, um, wow. Look at that. Two, two of them was, were the same interview, but we, we know. <laughs> who's counting? Who's counting? Yeah, there, um, there we go. Do, are you going to send me some type of uh, a turkey trot uh, t- type yeah, of like gift there? Yeah, like when you do SNL five times and they give you the jacket, you know? that's pretty Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Two, two, um, two, more, two more times and maybe I'll get a hat. Exactly. Well, I'll have you back on. We'll do some more news stuff. It was really fun. Um, I will Killer. see you in New York next week, my friend. Bring a monogram eight pre-roll. And uh, I will we'll do that. I got one with your name on it. All right. Good stuff. All right, man. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. All right, Brandon. See you. Take care. Bye bye.